The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Neither does a person light a lamp and put it under a basket, but puts it on a stand that it may give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Where are God's saints today? Today we celebrate all saints. Part of what we're celebrating, as the liturgy says, that we're remembering those saints of God who shone as lights in their generation. But it's easy to forget that we are part of that group we call all saints. We're part of that. Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Well, if you're a Christian, you are in that number. That's what the Bible teaches us. You see, the word saints in the New Testament, hagioi, is not reserved for an elite group of super apostles. Saint means believer. Saint means a disciple. Saint is a Christian. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. But we forget that, don't we? We're so quick to forget. And man, I'll tell you, this is not a time for us to forget that we're saints. We live in a world that desperately needs to see saints living out the gospel. Every time we come to an election, we are reminded just how divided and broken and dark our world can be. Serving in Ottawa, Canada, as rector there, um, the nation's capital, our church literally just four blocks from the parliament buildings, 80% of our congregation made their living on the hill. And so every time we came to an election cycle, I mean, we lived in the world of politics. Every time we came to an election cycle, I would remind the congregation of my three rules at election time. I'd say, number one, we are going to pause the political discourse as we enter into this building. This is going to be a sanctuary, a haven from all of that. And I'm telling this to sitting senators in the pews. Pause the partisanship and political discourse when in the church. Second, I'd say we pray. We pray for our nation. We pray for wisdom. We pray for good choices. But finally, we gather in peace at the king's table. The only place where we can truly find unity and peace in times such as this. The king, the true king, gathers us at his table in unity. 
It's like Ronald Reagan once said that it has been said that politics is the second oldest profession. I have learned that it bears a striking resemblance with the first. (laughs) We live in a dark, divided world. And into that world, Jesus sends saints. He sends his people with the gospel into a dark and divided world. And in our text today, Jesus uses two metaphors, two pictures of what his saints look like in the world. He talks about salt and light. Salt is a preserving agent. It can purify, it can heal, it can flavor. When I was in Israel back in June, I was on the tour bus and I got a bad hangnail. And, you know, tour buses are not exactly the most hygiene, hygienic places. You know, so I'm watching as I've shaken hands in every place. This, this is just getting redder and more sore and more infected through the day. And then we arrived at the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is so full of salt that nothing can live in it. And so as we got in for our Dead Sea swim, or more accurately, our Dead Sea floats, and I came out of the waters, my thumb was all over again bleeding. But what had happened was the salt had eaten through all of the infection, all of it. And within moments, I watched it just heal up perfectly. Nothing wrong. That preserving agent, that healing agent. This is what Jesus says his saints are in the world. But also light. Light dispels the darkness. You know, as we have a power outage and we suddenly are faced with with a pitch black room, that one match, that tiny match, it's amazing how far that light will carry and open up that room. Nowadays, we use our iPhones. But the point being that light dispels the darkness. This is the effect that God's saints have on our world, salt and light. Where is the salt and light for this broken world. Where are God's saints today? Well, they're right here. See, what Jesus does in this moment with his disciples is he makes a promise to them. He really reminds them. This text is meant to shake us up and remind us of who we are in this world. Because what Jesus is saying here of his saints is that, number one, that saints are chosen. This is not something we aspire to. This is not something we sign up or apply for. God comes and chooses us, even us, to be his saints. But not only only does he choose us, this text goes on to say, Jesus tells us that we are then created to be saints, that he does that internal work within us to make us capable to live out this salt and light life in the world. But again, not only is it that we are chosen as saints and that we are created, recreated to be saints, but finally, we're captured as saints. We're stuck as saints. If you're chosen and if you're created as a saint, you're captured, you're caught. We'll get back to that in a moment. For now, Starting, we're chosen to be saints. Verse 13 and 14, we're here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. 
in Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verse three, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. He's not saying this to an elite group of people. Jesus is saying these words to his disciples. These ordinary, broken, incomplete men. He's saying, you are the salt. You are the light. You see, sometimes when I'm, I'm speaking with someone who's beginning a new ministry, um, whether it's a church plant or whether it's a new ministry within the church, you know, a startup, there can be a lot of frustration. There can be those moments when you feel like, is this going anywhere? And, and my word of encouragement is always this. If, if you're sitting there at one point really depressed and you, you've only really got 12 people that ever show up, most of the time they don't have a clue what you're talking about. They're totally disobedient and you're pretty sure that one of them wants to kill you, then you have a ministry just like Jesus. It's just the same. This is the group. These are the disciples that Jesus says, you are the salt. You are the light. People such as us. And what's amazing, he makes us saints, and this is how he gets the glory. Verse 16 goes on to say that they, that is the world, will look at a life of a saint and will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That God will get the glory as people look on us chosen to be his saints in the world. There was a converted Hindu who was addressing his fellow countrymen and he said these words. He said, I am by birth of an insignificant and contemptible caste. So low that if a Brahmin, the highest caste, should chance to touch me, he must go and bathe in the Ganges for the purpose of purification. And yet God has been pleased to call me, not merely to the knowledge of the gospel, but to the high office of teaching it to others. My friends, do you not know the reason for God's conduct? It is this, if God had selected one of you learned Brahmins and made you a preacher, when you were successful in making converts, bystanders would have said it was the amazing learning of the Brahmin and his great weight of character that were the cause. But now, when anyone is converted by my instrumentality, no one thinks of ascribing any of the praise to me. And God, as is his due, has all the glory." St. Paul says that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things in this world to shame the strong. God chooses us to be his saints in the world. But see, it's not just that he chooses us to be saints. He then creates us. He does this work of creation in our hearts to be these saints. Again, look at verse 13 and 14. Be, be very attentive to what Jesus says here. He does not say, you should be salt. You really ought to be salt. You should be light. What's wrong with you? Come on, be some light. That's not what he says. Nor does he say in the futuristic sense, you will be salt one day. You will be light eventually. No, what does he say? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's talking about a new, 
ontological reality that has been born in us because of the gospel, because of that sovereign choice. We cannot make ourselves salt and light. Only God can do this, and he does it. He reforms and makes us to be those salty and those lighted Christians in the world. As John 15, 16 says, he says, I, you did not choose me, I chose you. And then he says, and I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. I appointed you to bear fruit. I have chosen to not just make you a saint, but I'm going to make you bear fruits. Because as the Holy Spirit that hovered over creation comes now into our lives in the life of faith and recreates us to be his saints in this world. I mean, it's vital that we recognize this. Next week, we're going to talk more about the work of the Holy Spirit. But for now, we need to remember that when Jesus is dying on the cross, bearing your sins and mine, giving us this graceful gift of salvation, it's not just that he's taking something from us, our sin, but he's giving something to us his spirit, a new life, a new creation within us. You are saints. You are salt and you are light and God is going to use you to redeem his world. This is what saints do. I, I, I love the story of Liao Yu, who's was an author and an activist who, who was motivated in China to become an activist in the face of the 1989 Tiananmen Square Massacre. As a result of looking at the oppression that was going on in communist China, Liao began in interviewing people. And, and, and here's what's important. Liao is a non-believer. Like, this is a non-Christian. But he was so impressed about the stories of Christians who had suffered under persecution, immense persecution in communist China, that he began interviewing them. And this non-Christian wrote a book called God is Red, which is the story of the witnesses, the story and the testimonies of these Christians living faithfully under communist China. Uh, stories like this with Wang Tishun, who is the son of a pastor, who watched his father executed by the government and then himself became a pastor and was jailed for years, including four months in solitary confinement. And when Liao came to interview him, Wong said these words. He says, I don't feel bitter. As Christians, we forgive the sinner and we move on. And Liao, this hardened atheist activist is awestruck by this testimony, this life, this salt, this light, this saint, doing what saints do in the world, putting on display the gospel. Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says these words that once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of the light. We're chosen to be saints. We're created and reformed to be saints in this world. But you may ask at this point, if this is true, then why is the church so ineffective so often in the world? 
Where's the salt? Where's the light? Jesus hits this head on in verse 13 when he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under feet. I mean, Jesus acknowledges the reality that there are Christians who have been made into saints because that's the definition of a Christian, made into a saint, who are not acting and living like he's made them to be. And, and there's a little word play that he does here when he says if salt has lost its taste or if salt has become tasteless, the word tasteless has the Greek root moros where we get the word moron from. It means foolish. Really what Jesus is saying here is if, if salt becomes foolish, if salt becomes moronic, which is a tie into the very end of the sermon. See, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, you know, if salt becomes foolish, if salt becomes tasteless and moronic, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, verse 26, he ends with similar words. He says, if anyone hears these words of mine and does not do them, they are like a moros, a moron, a fool, a tasteless person. That Jesus is warning us that we can be made into this salt, into this light in the world, but we can stop listening to Jesus. We can stop paying attention to his words. And when we do, we will see that salt grow tasteless. We will see that light grow dim. It happens in this world. As John Stott so passionately said, God intends to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it from going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question is, where is the salt? Whatever shall be done. Is this Jesus leaving us on a pull up your bootstraps moment? Try a little harder? You know, is Jesus saying, you know, your job is to work really hard to stay salty? Or as I could probably preach now in Canada after October 14th, your job is to work really hard to stay lit. Think about it for a minute. It'll come to you. No, it's not about pulling up our bootstraps. It's not about working harder at being salt and being light and being a saint. Instead, it's about hearing the gospel. See, it's not just that Jesus chooses us to be saints. It's not just that he has created us to be saints, all that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But here's the gospel. Jesus has captured us as his saints. He's caught us and we're not getting out of his hands. You see, verse 16 says, let your light so shine. 
right? In the face of a church that so often can forget its saltiness and forget the light that we're meant to be in the world, Jesus doesn't say, now your job is to go on a personal spiritual mission and find that salt you've lost. Go on a mission and find that light you have misplaced. No, he says, let your light shine. It's still there. You still are what I've made you to be. You still are salt. You still are light. The gospel tells us that if we have been chosen and created to be salt and light, if we've been chosen and created by God to be saints, then that's what we are. Even completely foolish with it, we can't stop being what God has made us to be. You can fight it, you can suppress it, you can ignore it, but you can't overturn the work of God in your life. He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of lights. I've got a friend who's a priest who's got five boys. I have no idea what his life is like, nor he mine. But one game that they play when he wrestles with his sons They play a game called No Escape. And so he'll be down on the ground wrestling with one of his boys and then then he'll sort of grab onto one of them and he'll say, no escape. And thus the game is on. And it's effectively usually a headlock, right? He's got the boy in a headlock. and, And the point of No Escape is, can you get out? Can you get out of this wrestling pinned move? And the child will wriggle and push and start turning blue in the face but eventually will wriggle their way out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a game about fortitude and strength and pushing through, right? But here's the reality. The game No Escape really isn't accurately named because there always is an escape, right? They always get out. But with God, it truly is no escape. When God grabs a hold of us, he doesn't let go. When God wraps his arms around us, he will not let go. We're held. We can fight, we can kick, we can wriggle. And isn't it true that most of our frustration and most of our pain comes from kicking against God, rejecting the belief in what he's done in our lives, that we're still determined to go our own way? He's got us in his hand. Jesus says in John 10, verse 28, no one snatches you out of my hands. With God, there's no escape. And so the call from Jesus is if we're captured, if we're caught as saints, then will we just stop fighting it and give in? Give in to this new nature that he's built into us and let your light shine. One of my favorite Peter Pan movies is, uh, is Hook, which has Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams and I think the reason I love that Peter Pan movie specifically is it's, it's really for adults. I mean, it's a kid's movie, but adults watch it just move this, you know, losing imagination, losing faith, losing hope, losing identity, because Peter Pan is now grown up and he's very grown up and he's very serious. And he goes back to Neverland and he's forgotten that he's Peter Pan. And even the lost boys when they meet him, his, his companions, they don't believe that it's Peter until one of the boys comes up to him 
and begins pushing on the wrinkles and pulling back his face and eventually pulls a smile out of his face. And then he says these words, Oh, there you are, Peter. See, if God has truly chosen us to be saints, if God has truly created us to be saints, and if God has captured us as his saints and he's not letting go, then suddenly that song becomes a surrender. It's not grasping. It's not working at something. It becomes total surrender. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. On this All Saints Festival, where is the salt and light for this broken world? Where are God's saints today? Oh, there you are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.